I hope that you've been enjoying and participating in the 40 days of prayer, not just on the Sundays, uh, not just on the, the messages, but have uh, taken the time to sign up for some of the devotionals and have been uh, reading through them. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed them. I, uh, full confession, I tend to do that, that pastor thing, that, that professional Christian thing when I look at what someone else wrote and I just critique it. And I think, you know, that's, that's not what that passage says. And that could have been written better and, and so on. And it's a, it's a failing of mine. God is working on this with me. Uh, but one of the devotionals this week was really, really powerful. And most of them have been uh, really, really thought-provoking and a great time for meditation and, and the Lord speaking. Uh, one of them was uh, written by Kelvin Walker, the keynote speaker for Training Ground coming up, where he just... He talked about what does it mean to walk in the Spirit. And I loved that idea. I I loved that uh, thought of of walking in the Spirit. And he shared that one of the things that he has been doing in the past few years in his life was that when God's about to do a new thing in his life, when God's about to do a new filling in his life, a new leading in his life, it seems like God asks him, do I have your yes no matter the outcome? And at that point, he knows that God is about to fill him with strength. One of the other devotions said, uh, in one of the other questions he asked, is there anything that you're trying to deal with in your life and not given it over to the Spirit to fill you, to help you find release from that thing? And those two questions were very personally powerful for me. And I wondered... If you have had uh, some of those experiences yourself, I would love to hear about them. I would love to hear what God has been doing. Obviously, it's a little hard in a, in a group setting like this to just share, you know, here's all of me on the table, right? That, that can be pretty intense. Uh, but I'd love to hear what has God been saying to you, teaching you, uh, helping you learn and understand and personally experience more of His holiness, more of the joys and freedom that comes with repentance, more of the the filling of the Spirit, the empowerment of the Spirit that you're seeing in your life to freeing you up from from past things that have held you back in following God, or whether it's an enabling, it's an anointing, sort of to use the Christianese word, but an empowerment, a filling to do something that you didn't think you ever thought possible. Uh, My wife and I have a, 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 a new... Uh, well, that's my New Year's resolution, but every Saturday morning we get together and we pray as much as we can uh, each and every Saturday because some Saturdays I'm going to be away and, and things like that, but so far so good. And I asked her, you know, is there anything that you're seeing in me? Always a dangerous question to ask your spouse, give them that freedom, but I think it's so helpful. And she said, I think you're being more gentle these last few days. And I went, Huh you liar (laughs) in my mind i did not not say that but i had not seen that she had seen that and that was such an encouragement to me because it's one of those things that kind of popped out and one of the things that we're going to talk about today Uh, i would love to hear what you are hearing from god learning 
and personally experiencing and responding. You can email me. Uh, you can find my email uh, right on our website or a lot of our socials. You can drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. I'd love to have just learn how I can be praying with you as God is guiding you uh, through the 40 days of prayer. And that devotional was a verse that we read last week, right? That devotional that Kelvin referenced, walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. Do you remember that verse that we talked about last week? There's a second part to this that is just fascinating to me. It, uh, the verse is this. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We talked about the first half of that verse last week. We talked about how we understand that yielding to the Spirit, the empowerment of the Spirit, is a moment of strengthening, uh, fulfilling, or uh, surrender, and repentance, and freedom. <clears throat> but the second part of that verse implies movement in a particular direction. And that means that staying in step with the Spirit involves a direction that the Holy Spirit's headed. Going in the direction that the Holy Spirit is going, that God is going, which means that God has a destination that He's headed towards, which I find fascinating. Because we cannot just limit the fact that the Holy Spirit is to empower us for freedom to, to experience God. It's actually also freedom to follow Jesus as well. And so that leads us to a question. Where is he going? You've heard of the phrase, God's will for your life, right? And how do I know what God's will is for me? What is God's will for me? And I believe that God has a plan for each and every individual. He has a will for you that you are to follow and that he reveals it over stages in your life so that you can yield to that. However, it is not isolated from the fact that God is moving somewhere. That God is going somewhere, that God has a will, period, and that He has a plan. And His plan for me does not exist outside of His overall plan. So what is His overall plan? Where is He headed? Some time ago, when we lived in Albany, we decided to take a trip to Boston. A number of my online friends who I'd played video games with for years had decided, hey, we're going to all get together in Boston. Who lives close to Boston? Who wants to get together? And I'm like, it's only a three, four hour drive. That sounds great. And so we went, took the whole family, and we were going to make a, a weekend of it. We were going to go and see the aquarium. Uh, but that night, Krista and Josh just hung out in the hotel while I uh, went and they dropped me off at the place where I was meeting my friends, and we hung out most of the night. And when the time came to... Uh, kind of wrap it up. I needed to get home. Uh, I called a cab. And I told the cab driver, this is our hotel. And he started to drive. I don't know Boston. I've only been there once. And so I don't know the streets. I only know we had picked a hotel down by the harbor so that we could really access everything but kind of experience the downtown of Boston. Thought it would be great. And he drives and he drops us off at a drops me off at a completely different hotel. It's the wrong hotel. And I went, uh, 
that's not the hotel I'm staying at. Oh, what hotel did you say? And I said, you know, and I told him the name of the hotel, whichever one was, was downtown on the harbor. And he goes, oh, expresses his frustration in some colorful language and just peels out and turns around and goes the other direction. If we're following in step with the Spirit, where is he leading us? Well, I think we find the answer in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Because Jesus makes a promise and says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my, what's the word? Can't hear you. What's the word? Those at home, say it with us. One, two, three. Witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, we're going to talk about this over the next two weeks. We're going to talk about sort of the first two uh, geographical regions, so to speak, of where God is leading us. But the path, the steps that the Holy Spirit is taking is to turn us all into witnesses. Witnesses locally, witnesses in our region. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word evangelism, I'm not sure I kind of want to go in that direction at all. I have, I have a comfortable ministry. I get to preach God's word. I get to, to share it each and every week. That's, that's awesome. That's a great opportunity. But the words witness and evangelism can be scary words in the life of the Christian. Because they'd rather just have their faith be something that's personal between them and God. Why on earth should it affect others around them? Why is that something? And it, and it creates this, this butterfly feeling in your stomach. If you're not a public speaker, you know what that is when you're asked to public speak and you're like, I I've got to present something. You know, you're, you're, when you were in grade school or high school, you had to give up and uh, get up and, and give a uh, lecture in front of the class. You had to present a paper. And if that's not your thing, if you don't want to be in front of people, you're just like, this is not my thing. And then when churches come and say, hey, everyone should be involved in witnessing, you're just like, yeah, that's for that person. And maybe it's because you've had bad witnessing experiences or you've seen bad witnessing experiences. You've seen bad witnesses. You've seen bad evangelists, just behavior that you just go, how on earth is this acceptable? How on earth is this going to work? Maybe something like this video. Check it out. Dude, do you go to church at all? Do you go to church at all? 
So do you go to church at all? Hey, is this seat open? Hey, is this seat available? Uh, dude, I just want to knock out some devos real quick. I spent some time with Jesus. I woke up kind of late this morning. Yeah, come on, scoot over. Scoot over. Let me sit down. I just want to share something from God's word. He hit me up in my devos this morning. I was like, I got to share this. Genesis 1, 1. Thirsty, huh? Getting some water? Yeah. Yeah, I know the living water. I was noticing that you're drawing some stuff over here. Back before when I wasn't a Christian, I, I was making so much money as a graphic designer. You been born again? You been born again? Born again? And you need to quit walking in the flesh. I mean, obviously you don't really know God, your tattoos, and you know, in your ear and stuff. You don't start out the day by just bathing yourself in prayer. Your day doesn't even go that well. You're not realizing that there is a God. He sent Jesus to die for you. Why don't you see that? And in chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, I just would go to these crazy parties. It was crazy. Well, I mean, just cash like crazy, but uh, but I've left all that behind. Now I'm a Christian. You can't live life without God. He's not real. He's here. I can't yes, see him. Yes, he is. I'm just not getting through to you. God I can't is real. Touch him. Okay, you can't touch Africa, but Africa exists. I just have to say, I'm blessed. Too blessed to be stressed by the devil's mess. What's holding you back from committing your life to Jesus Christ? I... It's probably the sin in your life is what's going on. <laughs> scared? Hell is scared. Why don't you look at that girl right there? Look at her. She's going to die. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. She's going to die. If you're going to die. Where do you think you would go? Man, that sounded hot. I wonder how hot hell is. Hopefully you don't go there. Oh, this is good. The New Testament is so just applicable. Have you guys noticed this? Hey, you got to be washed by the blood of the Lamb. I mean, so that you are justified, sanctified, future glorified. I mean, this is amazing. you got to come out. Do you drive a Volkswagen? Yeah, yeah, I do. But regardless, man, you got to come to church. Hey, remember what I said? Hell is scary. How would you feel if that's what the Holy Spirit was leading you to? <laughs> no, I'm out. Sign me off. Like I don't want to be a part of that. Or maybe you've seen someone witness like that, and it's just a horrible, horrible experience. Now, we've actually, uh, I want to thank um, uh, Jason Powell, who put together those videos for a pastor and well-known speaker named Greg Laurie. Uh, Greg Laurie, uh, this, this video was part of a sermon series on the topic of evangelism at Greg Laurie's church. He's the senior pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship. And it has been said about Greg Laurie, and I would agree with this, that he is our world's leading evangelist today. I think he is uh, the one that God has raised up as Billy Graham has passed away. This is the new person to continue to bring evangelistic messages to people who are seeking Jesus. He's a fantastic speaker. Uh, he's written a book, actually. Uh, Lifeway Publishers asked Greg to publish, uh, create a practical resource on the topic of evangelism. I've not had a chance to check it out, but we're going to post this video and all of the credits so that credit goes where credit is due to those who created the video as well as uh, the book and where you can find some ministries on Greg Laurie. You'll find all of that on our website under this current message. You'll find it uh, linked sort of in the, sh in the podcast notes, so to speak. But Maybe this is what comes to your mind when you think of evangelism, that this is what you're going to be asked to do, and you go, no way, that's uncomfortable, that's, that's just wrong, it, it, it's not making a difference, and I would agree. But if this is what you think of when you think of evangelism, I would like to present to you this morning that there may be something better, something that actually makes evangelism easy. 
And there are some things that you can do that begin to open your mind to staying in step with the Spirit as He desires to turn you into a witness. What if? What if there's a way that you can develop your witness so that when the Spirit says, I'm ready for you to witness, you're ready to walk? What if there's some things that you can do to train up, be ready? And it's not take a class. It's just three simple practices. Let me show you what they are. You'll find them in Colossians chapter 4. If you've got a Bible with you, turn with me in the Colossians chapter 4. Uh, grab your Bibles at home, follow along, take some notes in your margin. Uh, and let me give you a little bit of a background of why the Apostle Paul, the church planner Paul, was writing this letter to the Colossian believers. There was a dangerous teaching that was threatening the church at Colossae, one that lessened the role of Christ. They were essentially saying that Jesus is good, but Jesus isn't really all that you need to be successful in life. You kind of need Jesus and, not Jesus only. Jesus wasn't sufficient. And so what that was doing was it was undermining the new identities of believers in Christ. And Paul wrote to warn them against this false teaching, to encourage them to grow to maturity. And he emphasized through his letter that Christ is supreme over every authority in the universe, physical or spiritual, that he has authority over evil powers, and that Christians united with Christ share in his power and authority. And Paul encourages these believers to fight against sin in their lives, pursue holiness, fight against sin in their culture, pursue holiness in their culture by living as distinctly Christian households, husbands and wives, parents to children, employees to bosses or slaves to masters back in those days. And God wants to use us as an example of what someone who finds their identity in Christ has. And he wants us to share those things with others as witnesses. And so Paul does something amazing. He says, here's all of the things that you have in Christ. And here's how you can share it with a culture that's not interested in Christ as the solution to all of life's problems. He says, there's three things that you can do to engage and get ready to engage in evangelism. The first we see in Colossians 4, verses 2 to 4. It says this. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, that just sounds like really nice advice, but he goes on, and he says, while you're praying, pray for us also. And what are they to pray for? That God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. You know what Paul is doing here? He's not saying, pray for your own evangelistic efforts first. You want to start getting involved, getting ready to be a witness for Jesus? Pray for the witness of others who are being successful. 
Pray for others who are already engaged in being evangelists. When I looked at this in this context this week, this unlocked the passage to me. This seems like just something that Paul's kind of throwing in at the end. You know, here's, some, here's the announcements before we begin the service, right? And they don't really have anything to do with the context of the singing and the worship, but it really does. You want to get involved in evangelism. Start praying for people who are doing evangelism. That's it. That's the first thing he says. And why? Well, when you think about it, when you pray for others, when you really pray for others, you instinctively become interested in what they're doing, why they're doing it, and what kind of result it's having. It's automatic. You don't have to create it. It just comes. You gravitate towards getting involved, getting interested, developing good habits, and developing a passion for what they are doing. So, if you want to be involved in evangelism, if you want to be involved in witnessing, start by praying for good witnesses, people who are witnessing well. Be devoted in praying for them. Be watchful for what they do. Be thankful for their results. This is such a powerful truth because it doesn't just exist in the world of evangelism, that that's how you learn from evangelism. This, this is true in every area of life. This is how mentorships happen for people with trade skills. The first thing they do is they get hired by someone who starts to teach them, you follow what I do, you get interested in what I do, and you're able to ask them questions. This happens in the medical industry where fellows graduate from, from their school and get their medical degree, but then they have to put in a number of hours and they have to report to someone else in the department who leads them around, guides them through a number of hands-on, practical, real-world questions. It even happens in sports. I'm excited for the playoff games this weekend. I'm excited for the two games coming up. We live in Rochester. That is a huge thing for, for Buffalo fans, for, for Bills fans. And when I talk to Bills fans, do you know what I hear? It's not, let's go Bills. Here's what they have to do in order to win. Do you know what I hear from fans? Let's go Bills. I hope we win. Somehow, just from the fact that they're fans of this team, they become part of the team, and they're not on the field, they're not on the sidelines coaching, they're not up above in the, the booths making the play calling, they're on the sideline, they're eating chips, and they're, they're saying that was a wrong call, that was a bad play, or they get excited, but it feels like they are part of the team just from the fact that they're watching them succeed. I think that's amazing, and that's what Paul is saying. You can activate for your own witness in your life. Don't start with, God, make me a witness. Start with, God, who's being a good witness around me? Let me pray for them. What are they doing? I'm going to pray for that success as they have that conversation. I'm going to ask them, how did it go? What was the results? What did you see? That is amazing to me. Now, that doesn't mean you don't pray for your own involvement at all. I'm not saying that. But the challenge of prioritizing evangelism in our lives, in a world where we have a number of competing authorities and priorities, it can be difficult to know how to start well without burning bridges, as we saw in our video. 
So by praying for those who are good at evangelism, they become mentors. We begin to see what they do. We begin to process why they did it. Did it work? And those habits, by us praying for them, start to show up in our lives. So he says, the first thing that we do to engage in evangelism is to start to pray for those who are engaged in evangelism well. Because that'll start to move your heart to being engaged in evangelism well, too. And it will overcome that fear. There's still a couple other things that we need to do, though. That's just the first thing. What is the second thing? We see that in Colossians 4, verse 5. We act with wisdom towards outsiders to maximize opportunity. Look at what verse 5 says. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. How? Make the most of every opportunity. This is building a bridge. This is, it's, it's like jiggling the door handle to see if it's unlocked. Just gently Let's see if something moves. Let's see if something opens. A door is opened, whether a conversation can start. And what that is, is it's a great illustration of relationships that are formed on purpose. Without insulting. What if? What if our friend Jason, who was in our previous video, had another chance to do evangelism well in this way? Make the most of every opportunity. Let's find out. Let's check out this video. Oh, there's a spot. Oh, wait. Hey, go ahead, buddy. Go ahead and get it. too it's i come to this coffee shop because it's actually right down the street from where i work real easy uh, you know i work at this church and so yeah it's real easy to come down here take a little break you know get some coffee jason got your drink thanks man appreciate it so uh is there anything i can be praying for you about dude caleb what's up man i haven't seen you in a while dude hey mind if i take a seat sure i mean so basically the thing that i've noticed in now that i've become a christian is that before I knew Jesus, I was the type of guy that I wanted to be filled. I was going after pleasure of all different sorts. And did I invite you to come back to church. You know, I haven't seen you in a while, and I think you should come back out. Like, do you happen to go to church at all? Oh, uh, you know, off and on. That's cool. Hey, dude, I invite you out to this church. It's an amazing church. Actually, here's the invite for it. Hey, dude. So, I, I got a quick question for you. Sorry to interrupt you, but I was kind of even thinking about this today. What do you think is the meaning of life? I don't know. Uh, yeah, uh, my brother's in jail. I'll definitely be praying for you. I'm in here a lot, and so, dude, I'll be keeping that in prayer. By the way, I'm Jason. What was your name? Cameron. Okay, pleasure to meet you. God bless you. Knowing that your sin is forgiven, and so it just comes back down to knowing that Jesus died for you because he loves you. I always carry him on me, just in case. There you go. So, right down the street, easy to understand. I mean, essentially, it's just about having a relationship with Jesus Christ, and so, just invite you out to it. You drive a Volkswagen, right? <laughs> yeah, I do. All right. Much different than the first evangelistic efforts, right? 
and so much more conversational, so much more easy, so much more relaxed. What did he do different? What were some of the things that he did differently? I think it was far more natural, far more conversational. Um, you saw an example of someone who just simply said, in the, in the busyness of his day, said, hey, is there something I can be praying for you about? And that was it. And then he introduced himself. Said, let me, you know, what's your name? And just caught that again and wanted to pray. Went to a coffee shop near his church. Could have gone to any coffee shop anywhere. Whatever's convenient, whatever's close, whatever has what he wants. But he went to his church. I think that was intentional. Went to one near his church because I think that was intentional. Because the people there would know the area, would know the geography, would know what was nearby. And when he mentioned his church, people would go, oh, right? I think that's great. He carried invite cards to his church with him wherever he went. And as he had opportunity, without forcing it, hey, do you want one of these? Do you want one of these? Do you want one of these? He said, hey, can I invite you to church? I've got invites here. I'd love to give this to you. I'd love for you to take this on and, and use this if you want to use this. I love that. And there were so many more little things that he did. But I think that just the way that he used his time and was prepared for an opportunity to lean into someone's life in a relationship. Just build that bridge, just jiggle that door handle a little bit and see if someone is interested in how they respond. You notice that he asked a lot of questions. Hey, do you mind if I ask you what is the meaning of life? And, his, and he shared, here's what I've learned. Here's some of the transformation that's happened in my life. And he's just sharing it because this is what Jesus is doing in him. All of these things are so natural because he was prepared to do it. He took the time to think about, what if I have a chance? What would it look like in this opportunity? And he planned his day for it. I love that idea. Now, with evangelism, it's true that some people will seek you out, right? I mean, you've heard the old adage, uh, you know, always be ready to share Jesus and when, you know, when necessary, use words that your conduct matters, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But it's interesting that he looked for opportunities and just said, hey, what if I were to ask you a question? Do you mind if I ask you a question? Hey, what's this little small thing? And used those as opportunities to build bridges intentionally just for a moment to let God walk across a bridge. In seconds, he was willing to do that. It's true, people will sometimes seek you out, but I think, in my experience, that's honestly rare. As a matter of fact, one of the things that is very difficult for me to do is for me to share that I'm a pastor, because people often go, whoop, religious guy, right? And they automatically want to pull away. But they're intentionally not asking what it is you believe, because they don't want someone to just go off on them. I think what Jason does in this video and what Paul is suggesting here is that you and I need to leverage our time and think about our time as what if I have an opportunity, how will I make the most of it and just make plans? And it's simple stuff. It's stuff that Jason has obviously thought about and prepared for, like, you know, what is the meaning of life? That's a pretty big question to ask someone, especially if you met them new. But carrying invite cards, you know, uh, asking how you can pray for someone, I love those kinds of things. Knowing people's names. Haven't seen you for a while. How are things going? 
right? Amazing, amazing, amazing acts just by being ready for the opportunity. Not waiting for God to hand it to you on a silver platter, but jiggling the handle a little bit. Building that bridge just a little bit and seeing what happens. So take the opportunity with outsiders by acting intentionally with wisdom. Be prepared to act. But there's one other thing, because there's a way we can derail the whole process. There's another thing that we need to understand about acting uh, wisely. Don't just pray for outsiders, or don't just pray for uh, the witness of other effective witnesses so that our heart moves there. Don't just get ready to take the moment for opportunity. There's another thing that we must do and that we find in verse 6, and it says this. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. In other words, you know, to put it bluntly, don't ruin your witness by running your mouth. Um, Speak in a way that your opportunities to witness increase, not decrease. Grace-filled conversation, seasoned with life-preserving salt, because salt would preserve things from going bad. Speak in a way that preserves life, not takes away life. So think back over these last few days, weeks, months. Would you say that what you have said and what you have posted online, what you have said in conversations... Would you say those things have, are full of grace? Would you say those things preserve life, give life, or do they reduce life? Do they take life? Just think back to the videos. Now that we've seen them both, just think back to them. Do you remember Jason in the first video? In the first video, he cut off the guy for the parking spot, right? Said, look, the Lord has provided. And then he walked in. And as he's witnessing to the guy, the guy says, hey, you drive that Volkswagen, right? Yeah, I do. And it immediately shut down the conversation. Well, I know what kind of person you are. It immediately cut things off. He had no interest in people's lives. He was only interested in presenting his view, wasn't he? He was only interested in winning arguments. He was only interested in making a point Versus actually making a difference. Which is a great, great quote that I heard from Andy Stanley. Some people love to make a point rather than make a difference. So what does this mean? What is he talking about? Because this is a confusing verse. Let's just show it on the screen one more time. Verse 6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. But then it says, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Well, how does speaking with grace and and salt help you know how to answer everyone? Well, I think it's an example of uh, the scorpion and the frog. Do you remember that story? Did you ever hear that story growing up as a kid? Real quick, uh, the story of the scorpion and the frog is that uh, a scorpion wants to get across a river, but scorpions don't swim. And so he enlists the help of a frog and says, please take me over uh, to the other side. And the frog, of course, is concerned. Why? Because 
the scorpion might sting him. And if he stings him out in the middle of the water, then he can't swim. He drowns, and of course the scorpion drowns. And he explains that to the scorpion. And the scorpion says, look, I'm not going to sting you. I give you my word. And so they start out. And halfway across, the scorpion stings the frog, and they both drown. And in the process of drowning, the frog says, why did you do that? You gave your word. And the scorpion says, I'm sorry, but that's just in my nature. That's who I am. When we're talking to those who are outside the Christian faith, who have not experienced the life-changing transformation of the gospel, of their own redemption, of the righteousness of Jesus entering in their lives, the Bible calls the way that they act sin because they are sinners. That is their nature. That is the way that they're going to act. And the way that we would lose our words with grace or seasoned with salt is because of the way someone treats us, right? How dare you? I deserve better. You should treat me differently. You should treat me as a follower of Jesus would treat me, even though they're not a follower of Jesus at all yet. They're simply acting according to their nature. And what Paul is saying here is so genius. If you can remember that that's who they are, that people outside of Christ will always act to their self-interest. It prevents you from being surprised by it. It prevents you from, when, when people sin, they go, how could you do that? How could you be like that? I held you up to a such a higher standard. Why? They haven't met Jesus. Don't condemn them for something they've never believed yet. Don't hold them to a standard that they have not agreed to hold. And when we remember that, when we remember the fact that that's who they are, they have a scorpion sin nature. That reminds us of the big picture of God's plan, right? Because while people were yet sinners, Jesus came and Jesus died for them. Not because they had earned it, not because they were so lovable, but because they weren't. And they hadn't. And that is an amazing, amazing, amazing truth that that can safeguard us that in any situation, no matter how someone might respond, we can still respond with grace. It opens our minds to the reality that, hey, this may not be their moment, but God is still going to call them. I'm glad to be a part of this moment. I'm just going to jiggle the handle and see how it works. But I'm not going to invalidate my witness by the way that I speak, by the way that I text, by the way that I post, by the way that I talk about other people. Because I was like them once. And if God loved them when they were sinners, that's the message I want to share with them. That's the message that I want to demonstrate to them. I don't have to be right. I'm not trying to win an argument. I'm trying to win souls. I'm not trying to make a point. I'm trying to make a difference. And when we remember that, 
It allows our speech to be seasoned with grace and salt. Life-preserving words, posts, responses on Facebook, emails, phone calls, you name it. Now, I know what you're thinking. I think this when I see that text. So are you saying we can never speak truth to someone? So you're saying that we cannot ever get passionate about what we believe. That is not what this is saying at all. It does not mean that we can never speak against wrong. And it does not mean that we can never share our opinion. But how we do that always matters. Because the goal is not to win an argument. The goal is to win souls. To give God an opportunity to introduce himself and his son through your transformed life. There are ways that Christians have shared about their moral outrage for years in order to win arguments and have lost the war the war that's worth fighting for. I'm convinced that Jesus will ask us about that when he returns. So if that's you, I want you to know that you can begin to change why you are here and start to walk in step with the Spirit. That God wants to use you as a witness. That you can simply start with three things. Pray for those who are witnessing well. So that your heart starts to move towards what you see in them. And allow it to be mentored into your life. Second, start to take the most of every opportunity. Think about your day tomorrow. What is your day tomorrow going to be? You already know the things that you have to accomplish and do. What if there was a moment to share a bit of your story or to ask people, hey, do you go to church? Do you have a church? Would you be interested in our church? How would you share that information? How would you be ready for that? How would you be ready to make the most of every opportunity? And then finally, finally, fill what you say with grace to people. Ask a lot of questions. Find out what people believe before you share what you do, before you get high on your horse of moral outrage, out of the way that things are going in your life, or in your country, or around the world, and you don't like it. Okay, just remember, that's how sinners act, and God died for them. He loved them enough to die for them, and He wants them to live forever and he can walk across the bridge that you make but don't blow that witness don't be afraid to speak out but do it in grace do it with salt so that it preserves future opportunities to witness let your words be life-giving not life-taking another thing that just blows my mind about this passage it's that evangelism doesn't have to be hard it's not about learning 20 steps and this is what you have to do and this is how you share your story. It's, it simply starts with these three things. To not ruin your witness, 
to take the most of every opportunity, and to pray for others so that your heart begins to want and see and desire and participate in what they are seeing, in what they are knowing, in what they are able to share. That is amazing. Imagine our whole church starting to commit to every opportunity, every encounter, every part of my day. I want that to be true of me. How different would Rochester look? How different would your community look wherever you are watching online? How different would it look if a group of Christians said, I'm going to put aside all my need of being right so that I can start to share the witness of what Jesus has done in me and what Jesus wants to do. It simply starts, if I were to take all three of these things and boil them down, I would say that the way that we start to witness well is that we let our witness be our filter for our walk and our talk. Let our witness be the filter for our walk and our talk. And when we do, we start heading in the direction that the Holy Spirit is headed. You want to walk in the power of God. You want to know that life change not just in your own life, but in your family's life, in your workplace, in your community, in your country. This is where it begins. Let your witness be a filter for your walk and your talk. I've got some questions for you as you process all of this, some things that you'll find up on our website on the sermon a little bit later today. Uh, you'll also be discussing them with your growth groups and just you know, be ready. These ones are not the easy questions like I always give every week. <laughs> like I, we always give easy questions. Uh, but these are some tough ones because you may not be able to say, well, this is what's happening in my life. The key with these questions is not to uh, not answer. It's just to say, I don't know. It's to be honest but to engage with them. So you'll get a chance to process them. If you're watching from home, uh, process them with who you're watching with, following the service, or journal them this week. And you'll definitely be hearing them in your growth groups this week. Here they are. Number one, who are the Christian evangelists that you look up to today and why? How has praying for that evangelist boosted your confidence in sharing your faith? Question two, what are effective ways that Christians can maximize their opportunity for witnessing in the days in which we are currently living? Question three, how have you seen Christians speak with grace to others and provide life-giving words to them? And question four, what will you do this week to put these three witnessing practices into practice? in your life. Let our witness be the filter for our walk and our talk. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be here in this moment and guiding us. Uh, Lord, I think of just the way that I have <laughs> the work that you've done in my own heart preparing this message and thinking about it over this week, thinking, yeah, that's not me, that's not me, it needs to be me. Or there may be others who are thinking that exact same way, that there's things that they've uh, missed, opportunities that they've missed that they could have been prepared for. Um, they've never thought of 
looking at those who are actively sharing their faith well and just simply praying for them so that their own heart begins to walk in step with the Spirit towards being a witness like they are. Or maybe we've just let our moral outrage get to the point that, well, we've blown our witness with some folks because we've wanted to win arguments rather than souls. We've wanted to make a point rather than make a difference. And Lord, would you forgive us? And would you help us to repent, to make a change in our life's direction by beginning to pray for those who are witnessing well? By beginning to take advantage of every opportunity, whatever that is, however we can do it, Lord, would you give us the courage and the faith to do it? And Lord, would you help us that whenever we speak, whenever we post online, whenever we share anything, that we're doing it with grace, that we're doing it with with salt, so that life is given, not taken. Lord, we thank you for the challenge that you have given each and every one of us to be witnesses, that you will give us that power to be a witness, to help introduce people to the life-changing truth and person of Jesus Christ. May you help us to walk in step with your spirit as he makes us witnesses, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.